regular podcast listeners will remember um, our good friend, Dr. Paul Edmondson, the director of research for the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in Stratford-upon-Avon. But now Paul is gone all Hollywood. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm credited along with Russell Jackson um, as a Shakespeare consultant on Kenneth Branagh's new film, All Is True. That is so fantastic. <laughs> so I guess I'll just ask you straight out. Is it? Uh, no, <laughs> um, but uh, it has truthful elements. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 636, All is True? Dr. Paul Edmondson, the director of research for the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in Stratford-upon-Avon, is the Shakespeare consultant on Kenneth Branagh's new film, All is True, about the final days of William Shakespeare. All is True had a small week-long Oscar-qualifying run in New York and Los Angeles last December of 2018, and it just opened a week or so ago in the UK, and it looks like it will finally open wide, as they say, here in the States, starting in May of 2019. But I couldn't wait any longer to speak with Paul about the research that went into making the movie, how he got involved in the project in the first place, and just how truthful or ironic the title All Is True is. Ben Elton, the screenplay, uh, the author of the screenplay, has treated the past rather like Shakespeare himself does. He bends time frames, characters have different ages, uh, things become telescoped but there's there's enough truth in it for it to warrant that title uh, and and why because and one of the reasons why i'm so thrilled about it is because apart from the very beginning of the film when we see the burning of the globe theater um in london 29th of june 1613 the whole of the story takes place in the last years of shakespeare's life in my very own town, Stratford-upon-Avon. So uh, naturally, um, I'm interested. And so my colleagues at the, at the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, Ken himself um, came to see us last August. And I mentioned Russell Jackson, and I must mention him again, because Russell is Professor um, of Drama and English, University of Birmingham, and re just retired. But he's worked with Ken on all of his Shakespeare projects. He's since Henry V, 1989, he's been textual advisor on all of the film versions that Ken's done of Shakespeare plays and all of Ken's stage work on Shakespeare. And Russell emailed me last August and said, a certain VIP would like to come and visit the birthplace. And I thought, I bet this is Ken Branagh. And of, <laughs> and of course it was. And it, it, it was it was delightful, this the lovely August afternoon. Ken turned up with Russell and Russell's wife, Patricia Lennox, and I showed them around the birthplace and around New Place and around Hallscroft, and we went to visit Shakespeare's grave, and Ken signed our VIP visitor's book, and it was a great, it's a great moment. Anyway, when we got to Hallscroft, Austin, I'll, I'll cut the story short, um, he, uh, he walked me into the middle of the lawn and said, oh, I'd like to take you into my confidence about something, it's really good to meet you, I'm making this new film about Shakespeare, it's called All Is True, I'm going to be playing Shakespeare, and would I read the script? Well, the day after he came to Stratford, bless his heart, he was flying off to Egypt to recce Death on the Nile, the next um, 
parent, as parents as Hercule Poirot. But this script arrived and I knew filming was going to start in early October. So I didn't have very long with the script, but I did all I, I, I felt I, I could do in a very short time frame and sent. And I said, you know, I emailed him and said, what kind of comment, what level of comment would you like on the screenplay? And he said, oh, follow your instincts. So I did. And I sent him some notes. Um, I mean, not all of my notes had an effect on the final cut of the film or the way the screenplay was used for the film, partly because the actors, I'm sure, had already learned their lines. It was so close to the beginning of filming and the way it was filmed was people had to turn up knowing their lines to do as few takes as possible because the time frame to make the film was very, very tight. Mm. Um, but they did it. And every day during filming, Russell Jackson and I received messages uh, well, most days during filming from Ken um, via his um, lovely PA Tamar Thomas, who is a producer of the on the film, uh, about you know how do you pronounce somebody's name or who what was the name of Shakespeare's neighbour or uh, anything relating to the filming that came up or, or ways of life in Shakespeare's time. So one felt very much involved while it was happening. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, it, it sounds as if uh, both Ken and Ben, Ken and Ben, what a great double act. <laughs> it sounds very much like that Ken and Ben, like the Reduced Shakespeare Company, like to get their facts right when they're not getting them wrong on purpose. Exactly. Oh, like, so, so, like Shakespeare so, so himself, in fact. Yes. So, so for example, a, a fact which they got wrong on purpose I would say in the film, and it's a very memorable bit of the film, is the Earl of Southampton visiting New Place. Now, there's no evidence that he, he didn't do that, but it would be very, very unlikely that he did. So what's going on there? Well, what that scene is about, which is an excellent scene, I think, with Ian McKellen as the Earl of Southampton going to visit Shakespeare in his family home. What's going on there is the opportunity to the film to tell the story of a close connection, which... Um, can be deduced if one goes looking for it and hoping for it between the Earl of Southampton and and Shakespeare, and that that is a film that is a moment of intimacy in the dialogue and how it, it crackles with sexuality um, between the two men at that point in the film, um, and it's a really good scene, but it's not based on anything we know that actually happened. It's also um, a lovely moment of um, of showing how Shakespeare's verse can be interpreted differently by different oh, yes. readers. Yes, of course, because the Earl of Southampton is never far away from biographical discussions of the sonnets. And in that scene, we hear and see Shakespeare speak Sonnet 29, when in disgrace with fortune in men's eyes, in a very loving, very adoring way, very personable way. And then, yes, the Earl speaks it back to him um, in a sort of, isn't this a wonderful example of the sonnet form <laughs> sort of way. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and aren't I pleased to be sort of patron or dedicatee of it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know um, who had the initial impulse to make this film? Because Ben Elton... It's Ken. Has yeah. It was Ken. Well, yes, it, it, it was Ken. Ken. Do you know, Austin, you talk to Ken for 10 seconds about Shakespeare and his love and his passion just bubble over. I mean, so many people say they're passionate about Shakespeare... And you, you know, I hear it every day in Strapped Upon Avon, and I do and don't believe them. Ken is absolutely, you know, as, as we say in England, the, the writing goes all the way through the stick of rock. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> he's, he's absolutely passionate about Shakespeare. And um, he's wanted to do this film for ages. Um, and he had an opportunity 
Um, and he decided to film it when he did between projects fine with people he knew he'd like to work with, which is a great way of working. Um, and he, he, he gave Ben Elton the opportunity to write the screenplay um, for the story that he can wants to tell about Shakespeare in a film in which he would play Shakespeare. And it was an, an especially, I mean, it also coincides, of course, with Ben's own interests because he's the successful comedy writer of the show Upstart Crow. Do you know that one? I I do, and it's 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 a lovely um, uh, flip side of his approach on that show, which is very yes. broad, very like Blackadder, yes. but also yes. very well researched and born from a place and, of love. So, an interesting thing that happened to me in my involvement with the film is that Ken wouldn't tell me who wrote the script. It was sent to me anonymously. And I read it and I thought, oh, it's Ken. It just, it just sounds like Ken's tone of voice, his interests, the fact that it's, it's quite, um, uh, uh, it's not trying to be funny, but there are some uh, romantic elements there. It's a family drama. It's quite sentimental. And I thought, gosh, it, it's probably Ken's the writer. Um, and then when I discovered it was Ben Elton, I was actually really surprised. Mm -hmm. I thought, my goodness, um, it's not in any way facetious. This film is not trying to be Shakespeare in Love. It's not trying to be Upstart Crow. It's certainly not trying to be Blackadder um, or, or, or to be, you know, funny in that in that sort of way. It's a straightforward romantic family drama um, with some serious scenes, and it's a very reflective drama. And you know, it's as if it's as if somebody. Or Ken sort of sort of challenged Ben to to write a something which wasn't funny, uh, to write me a straightforward script about Shakespeare, um, and he's done it. He's risen to the challenge, and it's 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 a lovely script. It is love, and there are some lovely moments of of humor in it, but it's definitely yes, in, not very a incidental though. Yes, yeah. You've given interviews, and there, you've done some lovely videos on the Shakespeare Birthplace oh, Trust thank you. website, yes, yes. Um, detailing various bits of fact uh yes. that are uh, that are incorporated into the film or 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 tweaked slightly into the film but one question i had is the film embraces this idea that we've had for a very long time is that shakespeare lived in london for most of his grown up life and retired to stratford but isn't our understanding of that evolving it is, and you, you, you've hit a you've hit a, a hot spot there, Austin. Thank you, because um, I tried to soften that in my comments on the script. Because you know, in showing Ken around New Place, of course, we put over to him um, the revisionist view, rather that Shakespeare didn't, as far as we know, spend all of his time in London. In the the fact is, we don't know where he spent his time. That right. is a fact. But we know that he spent some of his time in Stratford. And we know that he spent some of his time in London. And over the last 15 years, um, mainly due to um, uh, Professor Sir Stanley Wells, who got this ball rolling, there has been a, a growing um, uh, tendency in Shakespearean biography to think of Shakespeare as a literary commuter, which, which in, in so entirely rings true when you think about the size of New Place and our recent excavations there confirmed all this sort of material and, and, and thinking that you wouldn't have a house the size of New Place where your family lived with 20 and 30 rooms right in the middle of Stratford, the largest house in the, in the borough of Stratford, and just not spend any time there. It just doesn't ring true in terms of how human beings operate. So New Place becomes uh, a potential venue for Shakespeare's writing intermittently. We don't know where he wrote the plays. But, you know, maybe he did do some writing when he was away from London, had peace and quiet to think and to work plots out and to read um, in Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, I think he bought New Place 
um, to help establish himself as a full-time writer, not to be trotting off on tour the minute the theatre's closed because of the plague, but to have a a base to escape to from the plague and and to write. So there's all sorts of reasons why he might might have spent more time in New Place than than the film puts over. And the film, unfortunately, I think, follows the kind of very traditional view, which, you know, it can't be blamed for it because it's been the tendency of Shakespearean biographies for centuries that Shakespeare... Uh, sort of downs tools and goes off to London like Dick Whittington and doesn't come back for 20 years. And then, oh, isn't he grumpy or people grumpy around him when he does so? So, but, but of course, we see, we see um, the marriage thaw, don't we, in the film between uh, Mr. and Mrs. Shakespeare, um, because it's, it's icy at the beginning, um, like, like Chicago at the moment, Austin. And then <laughs> come spring, uh, daffodils will begin to peer. Um, and of course, it's not for nothing that in the, in the um, in the film, Shakespeare is shown making a garden, which you know signs of new life and regeneration. She offers to help him in the garden, so I even thought that was almost like an Adam and Eve um, moment of seeing them come together again, and the marriage starts to thaw from that point, really. You're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Hey, I'm Bob Mondello, NPR's senior arts critic, getting more senior by the second as I listen to these guys. Happily, though, they also keep me young. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. Our 2019 tour continues this week at the Mayo Center in Morristown, New Jersey, then continues on with performances in Lancaster, California, Idaho Falls, Idaho, St. John's University, and Collegeville, Minnesota, Reston, Virginia, Houghton, Michigan, Appleton, Wisconsin, Lubbock, Texas, Amherst, Massachusetts, Flint, Michigan, River Forest, and Effingham, Illinois, Meridian, Kansas, a week at the Virginia Arts Festival in Norfolk, Virginia, and we'll be giving two performances of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, in Los Angeles at the Broad Stage in Santa Monica, California. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Dr. Paul Edmondson, the Director of Research for the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust in Stratford-upon-Avon and the Shakespeare Consultant on Kenneth Branagh's new film, All is True. My friend Bob Mondello, who's the film critic for uh, National Public Radio, described the film as a lovely bookend almost to Shakespeare in Love, or where, yes. where where that is young and joy, joyful, and and, and and very London, and very London based, and very London based, and very romantic, yeah. and this is very <clears throat> domestic and and very elegiac, um, a, a kind of late in life autumnal um, yes. view of of the man. I, the other question I have about the the truth and veracity of the movie is: Do we really think that Shakespeare was that miserable in his final days? <laughs> Um, Well, I mean, I I think we see him trying not to be. Um, I mean, one of the the reasons for his his misery 
in the film if if he, and he's not miserable all the time in the film well he's got several i mean actually he's got several reasons he's got the awful sir thomas lucy who keeps being narky to him every time he meets him from local shalgut park and there's a lovely moment in the film which is my favorite moments when shakespeare just turns around and lets rip and tears a strip of uh, sir thomas lucy and his parting shot is i wish i had poached your bloody deer um <laughs> And uh, and then of course his daughter Judith. There are problems there with his his youngest daughter, aren't there? Right. Um, she challenges her father quite a bit in the film. She's obviously feeling quite damaged um, because of the death of Hamlet and their relationship as brother and sister, which is a mystery that the film uh, gradually unveils. Um, and and then of course there's the marriage. Um, but I think we see um, Shakespeare in the film taking satisfaction in his family's achievements. He is we he he does go through the disillusionment about Hamlet, doesn't he? Yeah. In, in both in terms of Hamlet's, uh, the real cause for Hamlet's, Hamlet's death and also um, uh, Hamlet as a, as a, as a, as a budding writer. Um, so, yeah, there's, there, is, there is plenty of sadness in the film. Um, and, do you know, I, I went with a friend, two friends to see it who are grieving. And I, I realised, of course, it's a film about grief. Yes. So, so it's, it's not that Shakespeare's... Um, sort of being challenged all the time but I think it's just about his grief um and and how you how you do that on film and and the film is reflective and I think um and the both my friends who are grieving you know the loss of very close loved ones Mm. um I actually enjoyed the film and I think found in it a kind of cathartic uh quality oh that's lovely um yes and in the movie uh, his wife accuses him of not grieving appropriately or or at at, at at the proper moment you know she says well you uh, he died and you went off and wrote the merry wives of windsor but of course yeah. but of course he wrote many plays dealing with loss and grief in the years after hamnet died mm. um and so that's one that's one element that r- rang false to me in all his true mm. is, is the idea that that's that she would think that his only reaction to the death is writing uh, the least of the Sir John Falstaff plays. Yes, I would I would agree with that. And also, um, you know, the, the the play that's usually mentioned in relation to the death of Hamlet is King John, isn't yes. it? As we know, grief fills up the room of my absent child, and that extraordinary speech by Lady Constance, remembering um, who, 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 whom at that point in the play she thinks who at that point of the play thinks that uh, Prince Arthur has, has died. Um, so, yeah, but we didn't go down that road. And uh, when I heard that last time I saw it, I've seen it a few, a few times, of course. Um, I th- I know what you mean about it not ringing true. And it, it, when I read the script, it didn't. But then, and I commented on it, but I think that um, what rings true there is Shakespeare having to be professional and writing a play that his audience wants, not the play that he might wish to write uh, if he were working things through personally in his drama. Um, and in a way that's helpful and rings true because I don't think Shakespeare was that kind of autobiographical writer. I think there are autobiographical moments in the plays, but I don't think he was setting out in any way to, well, he just wasn't that kind of writer to, as it were, write a veiled life story across the work. So to, to hear that the film make that connection between Merry Wives, it seems, it seems true because of its inappropriate, apparent inappropriateness is what I'm saying. Yes, and, and, and that makes sense. He's a, he's a professional. He has shows to p- put on. He doesn't have time yeah. to yes. wallow uh, or, or even express himself self-pityingly in his writing. 
one of the lovely sweetest moments of the movie is is their imagining of how Shakespeare arrived at putting in his will that his wife Anne would receive their second best bed. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I like the fact that Francis Collins, his lawyer friend, is named because it was Francis Collins who drew up Shakespeare's will. And as we know, um, we don't have a final version of the will. It's, a, it's the latest draft that survives. And then we have the um, executor's copies. But I think the... Um, Yes, the so the the bequest of a set of the set my second best bed is an insertion in the draft in the in the in the, in the manuscript of, of of Francis Collins, the lawyer, um, and and I like that conversation because it it allowed for uh, oh she'll inherit anything as the as the widow, and of course what it does is it turns the bequest of a second best bed into something quite romantic and meaningful. Now I I personally don't agree with that. I think wills are have ever been hard-nosed legal documents with not much room for manoeuvre for sentiment, um, apart from like special messages which might be attached to, to for loved ones. So I, I, I don't really buy um, that she would have needed that as a kind of romantic gesture. I think it might have had legal connotations, a second best bed for inheritance rights, but the film allows for both possibilities, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. Well, and 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 I, I presume they didn't film there in Stratford. But how how well do you feel it captured your your hometown there? Well, I, I love the scene near the beginning when we see and I'm in imagine Stratford surrounded by fields and fields and fields and trees as he's galloping um, into the town, apparently uh, over apparently what is the Clopton Bridge. Um, and there was a gasp in the cinema amongst Stratford audiences when that that scene uh, popped up onto screen because we all kind of recognised ourselves in it. And I, I like very much the um, honouring of the size of New Place. Now we're not. I'm not saying that Dorney Court near Windsor, where the where the film that the film used for New Place is is anything like Shakespeare's new place, but it does have elements about it which make it sufficiently like. Um, and I think the film did a really good um, job of evoking the size, portraying the size of new place, because it was a sizable dwelling, um, did have land uh, attached to the back. Um, and I think that comes across well at the, in the film. The, the, um, the, the, the church, Holy Trinity Church in the film is, is, is too small. Um, but but one year one 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 can't have it always and and it, it was never going to be a film about historical accuracy you know but it's it's about um, making the atmosphere of what is there sufficiently believable which I think it does very well. Well and 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 the other thing it does remarkably well is make me and I imagine many viewers want to just go oh let's go back to Stratford we've got to oh, get yeah. back to Stratford. Well look, please come and see us we'd love to have you around. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. For more information about All Is True, go to sonyclassics.com. And for more information about Paul Edmondson and the amazing work of the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, go to shakespeare.org.uk. Then send us the facts that you got wrong on purpose via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my profile platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to aging spinster Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Deborah Corey Fabule. 
I hope I said that right. No reason. It's just random. Special thanks to Bob Mondello from National Public Radio. Bob was able to arrange for me to see All Is True, even though it hasn't opened here in the States, and I'm incredibly grateful. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 636 1908ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. What's your next big-time Hollywood project, Paul? Well, I'm, as you can imagine, I'm fending off the calls, Austin, and I'm working out what to do next. <laughs> I think that's very wise. Be smart, be coy. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.